Okay, so we're in the Advent season. Um, some grew up uh, celebrating the Christmas as a season and um, very familiar with Advent. Others, maybe not so much. I didn't grow up uh, in a tradition where we had an Advent series or season, and so a lot of this was new to me in my life, and maybe that's you. During Advent, um, we are talking about the longing of the Old Testament followers of God, um, how they longed for the fulfillment of God's promises, how they looked forward with great expectation to uh, the coming of the one that was promised. Uh, they longed for the one who would fulfill their, their hope. And that's one of the things that we talk about in Advent, and we talked about that last week. Um, they longed for the one who would bring them peace. We're going to talk about peace today. They longed for um, the love and joy that God intended on his people uh, to have. We know the promised one that they longed for and waited for ultimately is Jesus. And in one sense, um, their, their longings were fulfilled in his birth on, on that star-filled night. Um, the promised one has come, and we celebrate that, right? That is what we are celebrating in Christmas. He has come. But in another sense, um, the first advent was really only a glimpse uh, of what is still to be. Jesus did not come and fully and finally establish his kingdom. Our world is still a very dark and broken world. Um, when he ascended to the Father, before he ascended, he uh, told his disciples after his life, death, and resurrection uh, that he was leaving them, but that he would return. And when he returns, he will finish all that he has started. He will return to defeat his enemies, to establish once and for all that promised kingdom, to gather uh, his people to himself and to make us his forever and ever. For that, right, we wait. So Christmas for us is a celebration of his coming, and there's been much that was accomplished in his coming, but there is also for us a longing in the, in the brokenness that still exists. Christmas reminds us, reminds us not only of, of their longing, but our longing as well. Um, it's a reminder that, that we still live in this broken world, um, and it's a reminder that the world that we live in is not the world that was meant to be. Uh, the life that we live, even with Jesus, is not the life uh, that humanity was created for. So we long. Uh, we long for what is not. Now the Psalms, and that's what we're looking at this Advent season, several Psalms. The Psalms, I think, are a beautiful place for, uh, for us to see these longings because the psalmist, man, they are so open and, and honest. Uh, they say things that we often feel and think, but would most likely never actually admit. This morning, we are in Psalm 85. If you want to turn there, you can go ahead and turn there. We're in Psalm 85, and we find the psalmist here filled with fear, anxiety, uncertainty, filled with questions, um, hard questions, hard questions once again, questions of God's love, of his caring, of his promises, questions that, that reveal a deep, deep doubt, questions that show uh, a storm of turmoil. The psalmist is longing for peace, peace in his life, peace for his people, and peace with God. We also 
long for peace. So this morning, before we get started or go any further, I want us to pray and to pray together. I I ask again, as I do every week, if you guys would pray with me. I, I know that the Christmas season has lots of happiness, and maybe you are one of the people who go into the Christmas season and Advent season full of joy and happiness. Um, but, but no, if you're not, you're not alone. Uh, and if you are the person whose life is filled with joy, praise God for that. Know that there are people around you whose life is not filled with joy, whose life is filled with pain, who, whose lives are filled with darkness and brokenness. And so if that's not you, pray for them this morning. If that is you, Uh, Pray for yourself this morning that God would help you to see the peace that is available to you and pray for the rest of us as well, that we would find the peace that God has for us. So let's, let's pray that together. Will you pray with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, um, we love you. We are, um, we are needy people and we admit that today. We thank you for your, your, your grace and your patience and your love for us. Uh, Father, we are thankful for Christmas, thankful for Jesus, um, but we also hurt um, in a world of brokenness. Uh, I pray today that you would help us to find the, the, the peace uh, that is meant to be ours in Christmas. Help us. Help us today to see it. Help us today um, to believe, to believe the truth of Christmas. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I I know I just said this and we prayed it, but oftentimes, um, especially at Christmas, uh, we have all of these feelings. The Christmas specials that are on TV, the Christmas commercials, it's, it's, it's always ultimately a big happy family and everybody's Christmas dreams coming true, right? And that's just not the reality that a lot of us live in. A lot of us live in, in brokenness. Our homes are broken. Um, maybe we live in homes that, that don't have a Christmas tree or uh, a Christmas tree that isn't um, surrounded by gifts from loved ones and to loved ones. Um, for some of us, that's the reality of our Christmas. And, and Christmas is a time when we look around and we see everyone else seems to be enjoying all of this beauty and we are not. And so sometimes that makes us feel very alone, like no one else experiences that. I, I, I want you to know if that's you, it, it is not true that everyone is having a beautiful and bright Christmas. Um, life is difficult. Life is difficult. There is sickness, death, disaster, loss of job, family divides, divided families, and, and there are a, a thousand million other hurts uh, that are regular parts of our lives. And, and Christmas, when we see all of these things on TV and in the ads around us, Christmas reminds us um, that our life is broken. Sometimes we, we hide these feelings from others, thinking that our feelings of doubt and uncertainty and fear and anxiety and all of those feelings that we have, we, we hide those, we don't talk about those, and the reason that we do that is because we, we have come to believe that those feelings are bad feelings, 
Right? Like if we, were, if we were really good people or really good Christians, we would never feel that way. So, so what I want to tell you as we go into this time together this morning, those feelings are not bad feelings. Th- those, are, those are feelings that are a gift from God. Now, I hope as we go through this that that makes sense, but those feelings are a gift from God. God means those feelings, the feelings of loneliness the feelings of uncertainty. God means those feelings to be for our good. First of all, they remind us, they remind us as they should, that things are not what they should be in this world. That's why God gave us those feelings. Those feelings remind us that things are not as God intended them to be in in this world. Now, here's what I mean, and be patient. I know those of you who are here regularly, you hear me tell this story all the time, but it's such an important story. To to understand this, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, so bear with me. Don't check out if you've heard me tell God's big story a million times here at A Million and One, because it's important. In, In the beginning of the book of Genesis, we read about our beginning, the beginning of human history. God created, he created everything that is, the heavens and the earth, the universe, the stars, the planets, and he created earth. On earth, God formed the land, and he separated it from the sea, and on the land, God created a garden. He filled the earth with animals and plants and birds and fish and all of that, and in the garden, or, or on the land, he created a garden, a very special garden for humanity, a place that, that ultimately he would create in place Adam and Eve, the crown of his creation. God created Adam and Eve, humanity, this was humanity's start, to fellowship with him, right? The the, the reason God would enjoy humanity and humanity would enjoy him, he would enjoy Adam and Eve, and when we look at those first pages and first verses in, in the book of Genesis, we see that God did. God did enjoy his creation, and he enjoyed Adam and Eve, and they enjoyed him. Somehow, he would, he would come together in the cool of the day. He would come together with Adam and Eve. They would see him somehow in some physical form, God being with them, and they, they fellowshiped with God, and he fellowshiped with them, and, and, and they were his, and he was their, theirs. It, 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 was, it was perfect. In the beginning, Adam and Eve enjoyed him. Adam and Eve enjoyed one another. They were created to complement one another, and they did. They communed together. They worked together. Uh, they, They talked together, Adam and Eve. They enjoyed one another, and then together, Adam and Eve enjoyed God and his presence as well. Now, here's what I want you to think about in that story. In those days when when God came and enjoyed being with Adam and Eve, and they enjoyed his presence, in those first days, there was no envy. There was no envy in creation. There was, there was no jealousy. There was no bitterness. There was no anger. There was no hurt, no hostility. There was no worry. There was no anxiety. There was, there was no suffering. There was no death, no wars, no fighting, none of that. And, and, and everything, everything, everything possible that Adam and Eve ever needed, God had provided right there in the garden. Now, I don't think we can fully grasp that. Even as I thought about it this week, I'm like, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine all of that. I, I think what, what I can't imagine the most 
is, is the truth that in creation, in those first days, there was perfect peace. Perfect peace. I mean, if you, if you take away jealousy and, and, and bitterness and envy and anger and hurt and hostility and worry and, and anxiety and suffering and death and wars and having to worry about what you're going to eat, if you take all of those things away, what you're left with in this, in this relationship with God and the relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed together, their relationship, even with creation, it was all at perfect peace. That is hard to imagine. That peace was shattered, of course, when the serpent tempted Eve to take of the fruit that God had said not to take of. Eve did give in to temptation as she took of the, uh, of the fruit with Adam standing right next to her, watching. She turned and gave the fruit to him. He took of it and ate, and everything in that moment changed. Sin entered into the world, and peace was shattered. Immediately. Immediately in Genesis 3, we see that peace is overcome by doubt and fear and blame. Adam and Eve run and hide from God. They run and hide from God. Why did they run and hide from God? They ran and hid from God because, because for the first time ever, they knew guilt. They knew guilt and they felt the guilt of their sin. They, they covered their nakedness. Why did they do that? Because for the first time, shame had entered into the world and they were ashamed. They blamed one another. They even blamed God. In that moment, for the first time in creation, we see fear and worry and anxiety. We see separation and shame and guilt all of it, all of those feelings telling Adam and Eve that things were not as they should be. That's what those feelings were telling them. Things were not as they should be, and everything was wrecked by, by sin. In, in the next chapter, we read of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Cain murdering his brother in jealousy. From there, we see in the pages of the Bible and human history, generation after generation, following in the footsteps of Adam and Eve, broken and bearing the marks of sin. The marks that we bear today. And as with Adam and Eve, hear me on this, our fears, anxieties, worries, hurts, they are all meant to point to the truth that things are not what they were meant to be. They all tell us that peace has been lost. This is what we see in the psalmist as well. Things are not what they should be for the psalmist. Now, not just because the psalmist was human and living in this broken, sin-filled world, but, but more than that, if we continue the story of human history, we see that God was not satisfied to be separated from humanity, right? And, and, and he would promise as early as Genesis 3.15 that, that he would send someone who would fix the brokenness, deal with the serpent, and, and bring his people back to himself. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we see the promises of this one who would come. He is coming, he is coming, and he will create for himself, God will create for himself a people. He will bring his people to himself. Now, 
God would do that in the Old Testament, um, would create for himself a people, a people who were supposed to at least be a glimpse of what was intended in the beginning uh, in the book of Genesis. God would, through Abraham, create for himself a people, a nation, and that nation was Israel. The psalmist was not only a part of humanity living in this broken world, but the psalmist was a part of God's covenant people, Israel. When I talk about being God's covenant people, this people, Israel, the nation that God created, they, they made a covenant with God. God made a covenant with them. And you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 28, at least part of it, the part that deals with the blessings and the cursings of this covenant. And basically, here's the way that the covenant worked with God. God gave them the law and said, this is what it looks like to love and follow me. Love and follow me, right? Keep my commandments. Do the things that you are supposed to do. Don't do the things you're not supposed to do. Keep those commandments. Love and follow me, and I will bless you. I will bless you above all the other nations of the world. You will be blessed in every area of your life, in your fields and with your herds, in your families. Your families will be blessed. The nation will be blessed. I will love you, and I will keep you, but... The covenant also came with cursings. If you don't love and follow me, if you don't keep my commands, if you, if, you, if you don't follow me, you will be cursed. Cursed in every area of your lives. Cursed in your fields and, and cursed in your herds. Cursed in your families and cursed as a nation. I will not love and keep you. In fact, the opposite is true. I will raise up nations who will come against you. And they will be your enemies and they will defeat you. You will be taken captive and killed. What should have been with Israel, what should have been with Israel was a blessed nation. God made a covenant and they agreed to this covenant. What should have been was that a people knew their God and they loved and they followed their God. And he would bless them above all the nations, every area of their life. That's what should have been. Israel should have been a nation who stood out above all the other nations. They should have been a kingdom of people who, who, who were a glimpse of God's promised kingdom on earth. He would be with them. He would provide for them. He would protect them. They would enjoy all of his blessings, and they would enjoy him. A glimpse of what was lost in the garden. That's what they were supposed to be. That's what should have been, but it wasn't. We don't know the exact circumstances of the psalm that, that, that is written that we're looking at. Um, we don't know. Some experts debate that the, uh, the writer was uh, David, and he was writing about a time when the Philistines uh, oppressed God's people. Uh, others say that it was written after David and that Israel had actually been taken captive by their enemies. We, we don't know. What is clear, what is clear is that the people and the land were suffering. The psalmist was suffering. Things were not as they should be. And the psalmist is struggling to understand his suffering and, and where God is in the midst of it. It leads him to question God. His questions are a lot like the psalm that we read last week, Psalm 77, a lot like the questions that you might ask yourself or, or maybe you have asked of God when there is suffering in your life. Look at Psalm 85 with me. We're going to start in verse 4. Psalm 85, verse 4, restore us again, O God of our salvation. 
and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Whatever it was that happened, it left the psalmist feeling alone, um, despairing, feeling as if God had abandoned him. He was alone and without God. Lord, will you continue pouring your wrath out on us? Lord, will you be forever angry with us? Will you despise us for generation after generation after generation? Lord, will you not help us? Will you not revive us and give us life? God, show us your steadfast love. Save us from this sorrow. This is not the way that it should be. I think as we read these psalms, it's easy to read them pretty quickly. It's a short psalm and not really think about the words that we're reading. But I think think we should see here the turmoil that that fills the psalmist. It, it's a, it's a, a swirl of sorrow and fear, guilt, shame, overwhelming anxiety. He knows that things aren't as they should be, and, and, and he and Israel are suffering, and it all seems to be outside of his control. I don't know about you, but I've been there more than once. Filled with uncertainty, wondering why God had turned his back on me. Asking, how long? How long, God, will you leave me to suffer? How long will you pour out your anger on me? God, will you be angry forever? Look at verses 1 through 3 now. You were good to them, why not us? Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. I I think here that we get a glimpse of something that is profoundly and sadly human. What I think the psalmist may be doing is comparing how he sees God dealing with him and his circumstances and how God has dealt with others. God, they were sinners. He's looking. they, they They were sinners. They were unrighteous. And yet you did not withhold good to them. You blessed the land and you blessed your people. You you forgave their sin. You looked favorably on them. You walked with them. You blessed them. Why not us? Why do we suffer, God? Have you ever been there? Your life filled with, with, with pain or uncertainty and in the turmoil, you, you look around and everyone else seems to be great. It feeds the anxious heart. It, 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 it fills the mind with doubt. 
God, why is everything in their life so good and easy and I am suffering? Why, when they are sinners, are you pouring out your love and your grace and your mercy on them and here I am suffering? It's Confession Sunday for me. I have been there. Many times. I, I, I remember, I, I thought about this um, getting ready this week, but in the early days of New City's life, in, in the early years, I, I, I wanted New City to be a church that was, um, a, a, above all else, faithful to Jesus. Like to just, there was our anchor, there was our hope, this is what we talked about, this is who we were, everything about Jesus and raising up Jesus, lifting up Jesus, that, that's what I want. I worked, I worked really, really hard in those early days to do everything that I could to see us be that kind of church. And in those early days, everything felt hard, still does sometimes. But everything felt like it was just, it was hard. It was hard and it was heavy. There, there, there was not very much money. Sometimes there was no money, and I'm not exaggerating. And it was a burden. We had, we had difficulty, and God has blessed us with a great staff. It hasn't always been that way. Not that I'm saying negative things about uh, former staff. It's just been hard to get the right people in the right place. Sometimes we couldn't even staff when we needed the staff. We couldn't pay the staff what we needed to pay the staff. Man, it was, it was just hard. I'm not exaggerating. And I looked around at other, other churches, right? We're, we're coming up on 15 years old. I looked around at other churches. And, and, and like the psalmist, I'm looking at these other, other churches and these, these other, other pastors. And I'm like, God, why are you blessing them? God, we are, we are working hard and we're doing our best to honor and praise Jesus and raise him up and to point everybody to Jesus. And, and, and that, that, that church, that pastor's not even preaching the gospel and yet, yet they have everything and everything is easy and good for them. Why? Why are they blessed and we are not? If you don't know, that leads to bitterness and anger, even at God. I've shared with you guys on a, on a, on a personal level our struggle as a family years ago with wanting more kids and then having to deal with Amy's cancer and, and hysterectomy. Part of the difficulty, maybe the, 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 the biggest part of the difficulty there was watching others around us conceive so easily. Friends, family. What, what was worse was watching others conceive and have children knowing that they weren't going to take care of their children. Or, or, or worse, seeing the statistics, the number of people who were able to conceive to have children and then instead had abortions? Why, God? Why? We, we, we want to raise a godly family of people who will love and follow you. Why are you blessing them and we are suffering? 
Why are you good to them and not good to us? God, do you not care? Do you not, do you not love us? Why are you withholding from us? All of those questions and doubt leading again and again to the swirl of fear and, and anger and doubt and hurt and anxiety. Just like the psalmist. The opposite of the peace that we were created for. That's where the psalmist was. And in that swirl of fear and anger and doubt and anxiety, he pauses to consider the truth of who God is. What was his conclusion? My God is faithful and righteous. Verse 8. Let me hear what God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. L let me hear what the Lord says. This is the pause. In, in everything that was going on, the psalmist took a step back and paused to say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I, 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 am, I am questioning God, I am accusing God, I, I don't believe that God loves me, I don't believe that God cares for me, I, I believe that he has abandoned me and left me all alone. Let me, let me step back and hear what, what God the Lord would speak, or he will speak peace to his people. Surely, verse 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. He, here again, the, the, the psalmist stepping back and, and asking what he really believes about God. Here the psalmist is remembering the promises of God. This was a part of the covenant that God made with them. If you return to me, if you return to me, I will receive you, and I will love you, and I will bless you. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. He's remembering, he's recounting the promises of God. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, verse 10. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. What is this, this peace that the psalmist God speaks to him. God says to him, I, I, I am faithful. Let me hear what God would say, even though I am in turmoil. What does God say that brings this peace? God says, I am faithful and righteous. I am loyal and true. I am unwavering in the promises that I have made to you. I will always, always, always act in, in righteousness and goodness. My love and faithfulness always together. My righteousness goes hand in hand with peace. The psalmist, his, his God, our God, my God, my God too, is always faithful and righteous. He is good. And he will do everything that he has promised. We, we pause in the midst of the turmoil and the doubt and the fear and the, the anxiety, let me hear what God would say. For he will speak peace to his people. Don't miss this. What is the peace that God speaks to his people? The, 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 the peace that God speaks to his people is that I am faithful and righteous. 
the peace that God speaks to you is that he is faithful and righteous. Every promise that he's ever made, he keeps. He is faithful. He is good. He is righteous. Now, don't answer this too quickly, but do you believe that? Do you believe with the psalmist that, that, that your God is faithful and righteous? And there's a reason that I said don't answer too quickly because like the psalmist, we often forget. We, we know the Sunday school answer, right? We know the Sunday school answer. If I say, do you believe that, that, that your God is, is righteous and faithful? The Sunday school answer is, of course God is righteous and faithful. But the truth is, when suffering happens, when, when, when bad things go on in our lives, we forget that our God is faithful and righteous. And so our head begins to swirl as we look around us, comparing ourselves with others. God, you are good to them, but you are not good to me. God, you love them, but you don't love me. Why are you angry with me? The psalmist remembers. The psalmist remembers that as God is faithful and righteous, the the psalmist remembers that he has made promises to Israel and promises to his people. And it's in this this remembering and and belief that God is faithful and righteous, it's there that he is led to peace. Because now he believes the Lord will give what is good. The Lord will give us what is good. Verse 12 Right? He, he's asking, he's asking God, will, will you leave us forever? Will you abandon me? Will you continue to pour your wrath? Verse 12, yes, the Lord will give what is good. Here I am in my turmoil wondering, God, will you ever restore good? Will you ever revive our hearts? Will you ever be with us again? And the psalmist remembers the goodness and the faithfulness of God and the promises that God have made. And because God is good and faithful, Every promise is yes. And, and, and there, there he comes to the conclusion, the Lord will give me what is good. The Lord will give us what is good because he is good. And he is faithful and he is righteous and he has promised. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield in its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. The, 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 the language changes here from, from, from past. God, have you, have, you have done this in the past. God, you have done this in the past. Or, or it changes from the present. God, how much longer will you do these things? How much longer do we have to live in your anger and your wrath? And now he's looking to the future, to the promises of God, and looking to the future, knowing that God is faithful and righteous. He says, yes. God will give us what is good. Yes, the land will indeed yield its increase. Why? Because that is what God has promised. Yes, there will be redemption for us and restoration. Why? Because my God is faithful and righteous. Let me hear, he says, what the, what the psalmist is saying. Let me, let me hear. What the Lord has to say. Even, even as, he, as he's, he's writing these words, he knows that the Lord will speak peace to him. 
and, and he, he knows that not, not necessarily because things have changed for him. He, he, he knows it because, because of the promises of God. He knows it because of the faithfulness of God. And he is remembering, he's remembering all of those promises that his, his faithful and righteous God made. I will send a redeemer, promise from God. I am wondering, am I just going to die here all alone? No, I am going to send a Redeemer, and He is coming, and He will fix all of this brokenness. He will restore the land. He will make the land flourish again. He will restore the land. He will restore my people, God says. He, he will forgive their sins and bring them back to me. He will rule in righteousness and, and faithfulness. He will, he will bring bounty to the land again. In him, my people will be blessed beyond measure. He will bring peace, peace between, between me, God says, and you, my people. He will bring peace to the land, peace to the nations. And in remembering those promises and believing again that his God was faithful and righteous, there the psalmist's soul finds rest. Now don't miss this part. The psalmist found his peace. We see that. But it wasn't because in the course of these verses his circumstances changed. His circumstances had not changed. He found his peace when he looked back at the faithfulness and righteousness of God. He found his peace knowing that God would fulfill every promise that he had ever made. No matter what the psalmist's circumstances were. Yes. The Lord will give what is good. How much more this season should we be filled with peace? Not because our circumstances are perfect or because suddenly Jesus has made our family the one that we see on TV. Not because our hurts and disappointments have disappeared, but because we have something that the psalmist only dreamed of, Jesus. The Lord has given us the best. Christmas offers us much more than the psalmist could see or know. Christmas offers us peace, peace here and now. I, I want to go back through the questions that the psalmist raised like we did last week looking at, um, at our psalm and, and answer those questions with Christmas. How long, O Lord, will you pour out your anger, the psalmist asked. How long will you pour out your anger? When life is, is hard and things go wrong, like the, the psalmist, we often blame God and we think that God is angry with us. Job, money, sickness, death, infertility, whatever it is, that and a, a thousand other things, they throw us into turmoil and they cause us to doubt and we begin to ask God, God, what have I done? Or, or maybe we accuse God and say, God, I've done nothing. Why are you treating me this way? Why are you angry? Listen, if, if you are here this morning and you are a child of God, someone who has believed in the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, trusting in what he's done for you, trusting in his redemption and forgiveness, listen to me, God is not angry with you. 
God is not angry with you and it has nothing to do with how good or bad you are. God is not angry with you. 1 John 2, 2, Romans 3, 25, both tell us that Jesus came to be a propitiation for sin. That, that means that Jesus came to be an offering that turns away the wrath of God. That's what a propitiation is. It's a turning away of the wrath of God. Jesus was born... Jesus was born. Christmas came. Jesus came to be your propitiation. Jesus suffered the wrath of God that you and I deserve so that we will never suffer the wrath that should have been ours. That's what a propitiation is. God's wrath has been turned from us. That's the good news of the gospel for us. He has taken the sin that we deserve. Now, this gets better. When I say how much more should, should we um, believe in, in God, how much more should we have peace in this season, the psalmist trusted rightly according to the covenant in the, that they had in the Old Testament with him. If they return to him, this was the covenant, this was the promise of God, if my people will turn back to me, if my people will begin to follow my laws, to keep all of my commands, if you'll do the things that I've told you to do, then I will receive you back and I will bless you. The psalmist rightly, rightly believed if, if God who is faithful and righteous, he would keep up his end of the deal if they could keep up their end of the deal. If they would live righteously, he would bless them again. How much greater is the good news of the gospel? His anger is gone. And it has absolutely nothing to do with your righteousness. It has everything to do with Jesus. How much greater should our peace be knowing that God has no anger with us? And it's, it's not because we have been able to follow Him righteously. To pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's because on Christmas Day, the righteous one was born to do that for us. Merry Christmas, right? How long will you be angry? He is not angry. Will you not revive us, the psalmist asked? Lord, will you, will you not give life to our dead, dry spirits? Would you, would you leave us here destitute forever? Christmas reminds us that even when we aren't hearing the voice of God and we're asking those questions, God has already spoken. He has said, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. He has already said, I will not leave you destitute. In fact, he said even more. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in John 10. John 10 verse 9. I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, we do that through faith. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Lord, will you not save us? Jesus says, I am the door. And if you will enter by me, you will be saved. And then Jesus says, and you will go in and out and find pasture. Now, pasture may not mean a lot to us, but it meant a lot to them. Pasture was where the, the good shepherd took the sheep. It's where he cared for them. 
It's where he, he nourished them and nurtured them. And, and so, so when they go into to, to, to the pasture, there is, there is provision for them. Jesus is saying, if you come to me, here is your provision. There is provision for you. In the pasture, there was protection for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I will provide for you. I will protect you. In the pasture, there was peace. Would you leave us here forever? No, I want to take you into the pasture to protect you, to provide for you, to give you peace. Verse 10 says, The thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I came, Jesus said, to give you life, to give you abundant life, to give you pasture, to give you protection, to give you provision, to give you peace. One last question. Will you not, will you not love us? Will you not, will you not love us, God? Will you not save us? Most of you guys know John 3.16, right? For God so what? God, will you not love us? I will. For God so loved the world that what? That whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever trusts in his life and death and resurrection shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Will you not love us, God? Will you not save us? Yes. He will indeed save you. Yes. He does indeed love you. Yes, He will give you what is good. He has given the best. And Christmas, Christmas is the proof. As I said earlier, often this time of year brings with it all sorts of feelings, feelings of hurt and brokenness and loss, feelings of failure and inadequacy and fear and anger and guilt and shame and a thousand others. Sometimes those feelings push us away from God, just like they did Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve felt those things and they ran, they ran from God. Like the psalmist, sometimes we see the apparent goodness of God to others and, and feel like there's a lack of goodness to us, and we, we question, we question ourselves, we question Him. And all of those feelings are stirred, feelings of separation and anxiety and loneliness. 
I said earlier, these feelings are a gift from God, and they are. They aren't meant to push us away from God as they did Adam and Eve. They are meant to be reminders to us that things are not as they should be. But they are also meant to remind us that in the darkness and brokenness, peace was born. The evidence that no matter, no matter what our feelings tell us, we are not alone. And he who is righteous and faithful loves us and is fixing all that is broken. He is our hope, our confident expectation. And when he is, when he is truly our hope, when he, when he really is our confident expectation, when we really believe with the psalmist that our God is faithful and righteous, then there is peace. Family, this is the gift of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience and your goodness with us. That when we, when we blame and we cry out in our disbelief, you gently, patiently remind us of the most beautiful gift of all, Jesus. Help us to find our peace there, the answer to all of our questions. You love us, you care, you give us life. You invite us into pasture. Holy Spirit, remind us again and again. Help us when, when, when our brothers and sisters doubt. Help us to remind them as well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.